Welcome to Eurodal University with Jeff Snyder, the head of global research for Alhambra Partners. My name is Emil Kalinowski, and today we're going to be talking about repurchase agreement fails being at the highest level since the depths of the COVID crisis. What are repurchase agreements? Why are they failing? Is it important? Is it only the ultimate backstop to the global financial system? We'll find out and we'll be using the following hymn sheet to guide us. It was a blog post at Alhambra Investments posted on the 14th of April, 2022. And the title is Yield Curve Inversion Was, Is, Absolutely All About Collateral. What's the thesis? What do we want the audience to come away with, Jeff? All right. The yield curve is not supposed to be inverted. In fact, it's supposed to be modestly upward sloping because, as we've said many, many times, modestly upward sloping is beautiful. And the reason it's beautiful, it means it projects confidence and optimism through the future because slightly higher interest rates down the road is a good thing. It's absolutely the best thing that we want, we possibly want to see. And since the treasury market or euro dollar futures, these are massive, huge, deep, sophisticated marketplaces. If these curves distort out of that beautiful upward sloping shape, it must take something substantial, something serious to get them into a flattening position. And then something really serious, something really substantial to turn them grossly ugly, upside down, distorted, inverted. So March of 2022, inversions. We had the euro dollar futures curve invert way back in December, kind of stuck around a little bit in and out of inversion through December and January. Then by February, it started to really invert, which is where it is today. The treasury curve flirted with inversion, with flattening uh, up until February of 2022. And then there was, you know, a tad of flirting inverting throughout February. And then, of course, in March, much of the yield curve, much of the, especially the middle of the yield curve inverted. It has since uninverted. And then the last couple of days, it has reinverted. That is nothing abnormal at all. In fact, you look through any historical case where inversion happens, there's usually this fluctuation in and out of inversion in various parts along the curve. That's typical. That's normal. What we're really focused on is the fact that inversion happened and where it's happened and how much it's happened. And of course, why it might have happened. Why it might have happened. We're going to be talking about repurchase agreement failures and what that might mean for collateral. And Jeff, earlier I said that the repo market is incredibly important and that repo fails are at levels we haven't seen since March 2020. And while the, f- the former is correct, it is incredibly important. It's not necessarily true what I said about the latter because we don't know how big the repo market is. We don't see into the full repo market. We only have a sliver, a, a pie slice. We don't even know how big this thing is that we do see. The data that I was referring to is tracked by the New York branch of the Federal Reserve and they report primary dealer activity, and they're reported failures to deliver or receive. Now, in March of 2020, these went through the roof. In October of 2021, they started to pick up a bit, coinciding with many other financial macroeconomic indications that suggested something, the curves were starting to head towards flattening and inversion. Including the debt ceiling and the effect on charging bills, as we talked about in a prior episode. That was part of it too. All of these things, yes. October 2021. Right now, the slice of the pie that we can see is at an absurd $507 billion of banks saying, 
I'm not going to return this collateral to you or reporting, hey, this agreement that we had, that's promised, it was broken. I never received the collateral I was promised. What does that mean, this search? I love that you, there's one, there's actually two important caveats that we need to start with. Okay. The first one you just mentioned, which is we're, we're taking this as a proxy of the overall repo market when maybe that's not necessarily the case because we don't know the majority of what's going on in repo. Vast majority is bilateral bespoke, which means two counterparties get together, usually matched through a dealer that doesn't actually keep track of these things, at least not in a formal sense of data that we can get into. So most of the repo market around the world is hidden, completely hidden. We don't really know what's going on. We're reporting to you, which is reported to us from FRBNY, is what primary dealers are saying about the repo markets that occur within their own operation. So they're giving us a sense of what they're doing, but not all dealers are primary dealers and not all repo matchers around the world are included in this group. So we only see, we're only seeing part of what's going on in the repo market. And therefore, we're assuming that this is a relatively decent, reasonable proxy for what might be happening overall. Because if there's a lot of problems in the repo market we can see, we can reasonably infer that there's probably a lot of more, at least the same level of problems, if not more, in the repo market we can't see. The second caveat here, which we don't need to get into a whole lot, is that repo fails, we don't know what kind of repo fails they are. Is it a failure to return cash? Is it a failure of a collateral for collateral swap? Which to me would be the far more important one, the far more interesting one, and probably the far more relevant one, but we don't know that either. So all of these repo fails of whatever, no matter what type they are, they're all lumped together in this one single data, which frustratingly leads us to have to speculate about how much of this is just pure collateral for collateral breakdowns, a, a, a breakdown of the chains of re- reuse, repledging, and rehypothecation, a shrinking of the collateral multiplier. We can, we can do some other things to try to tease out whether or not that's the case. But in terms of, as Emil said, just repo fails themselves, there's sort of a bland, broad, generic, blunt indication of, okay, something's not right here. So we just saw that graph where we see the repo fails spiking, warning us. The sirens have turned on, telling us, look into some, you know, do some further investigation. And we do that. That's, you know, yes. It's also, you know, let's, let's being compared with March 2020, that's, you know, I think we need to take a minute and, and reflect upon that for a second, because as most people are probably aware, March 2020 was among the worst cases for the financial system globally. In a long, long time, it was up there in many respects with 2008, the worst parts of 2008. Now, not in terms of repo fail, because repo fails in October of 2008 were 5 trillion, not 500 billion, but still, there's some changes along the way. And being compared with March of 2020, or March of 2020, in March of 2022, or April 2022, tells you something serious is going wrong, which, again, as I started out this segment saying, when the yield curve inverts, it's, for, it's not for trivial reasons, which is why we pay attention to it. We pay attention to it because the yield curve doesn't invert for every little nothing. Something substantial must have happened. And here we are. Repo fails on, at a level of March of 2020 tells us that, yeah, something substantial must have happened in the deep monetary system. Our first clue is our next graph, which shows the four-week bill yields as well as bids at the when uh, the primary bids the first first market bids when you've got the low the high the median as well as 
how many, how what volume of bills are available to the marketplace being made available in the auction. We have several dates on this graph, Jeff, but only one of those dates is within a nice red dash box drawing our attention to it. February 24th. It looks like we're stepping down in volume of bills. Yeah, Janet Yellen's treasury is supplying fewer bills again, like we had talked about many times last year, though this time for different reasons. Last year was about debt ceiling and all the accounting tricks that treasury has to go into in order to remain debt ceiling compliant with uh, you know Congress having yet fixed or solved or moved forward or kicked the can down the road. So treasury used to uh, had it several times last year, including early October, had to scale back dramatically in the issuance of treasury bills, which is an interruption in the supply and availability of the best of the best of the best form of collateral for these monetary and financial marketplaces. Now, the Treasury Department, going back to February, February 24th, you're right, I think, Emil, they're cutting back on treasury bill issuance this time because the government is just borrowing less. It, deficits have come down. They're still gargantuan by any reasonable common sense uh, measure or historical comparison, but they're not nearly as bad as they had been over the last couple of years. So quite naturally, the Treasury Department is doing what the Treasury Department is supposed to do, which is focus is entirely on managing the nation's debt, not the money supply, the collateral availability uh, in the use of Treasury bills for purposes that the Treasury, the Treasury Department doesn't really care about or measure, monitor, or regulate. So they're stepping back of bills at the same time as all these other things are going wrong. Now we see the secondary market yield take off up much, much higher all of a sudden at that exact same time when the supply of bills is being reduced. We see also that the auction high yield follows the secondary market and the median yield heads up in that same direction as well. But there's a big difference with the low bids. The low yields are still quite low. It seems if completely detach themselves from what the secondary market is showing. At the same time, now our next graph is a collateral case study. And you pick out the dates, the 24th, 28th, March 1st, March 4th. And there's some big gaps in the secondary market of the 10-year U.S. Treasury. What's the relationship here between the bills yield spiking and some of these gaps in the 10-year? Those are our collateral days. You know, this really started on the 24th. We talked about this in a previous episode. This is where a real bad scramble for collateral has been unleashed. It's not just in the bill market, but it actually gets into some of the notes and bonds, especially those that are on the run. So you see those gaps are the early morning scrambles for collateral that spills over into notes, bonds, and all sorts of other instruments too. And it's not a, it, to me, it's not a coincidence that it starts on the 24th, which is the, the auction when bill supply was scaled back for both the four and eight week instruments which triggered at that time, you know, we had all sorts of curve indications. We had all sorts of risk aversion indications. So it's not surprising that it would lead to a minor scramble for collateral that got even worse as, you know, February 28th and March 1st, we've got Russia now in Ukraine. We've got the prospect of war. We got oil prices surging, skyrocketing, all sorts of negative stuff going on. The same time bill supply, which is the best of the best collateral is restricted. And so you have this mammoth gargantuan scramble for collateral on February 28th and March 1st. And that's reflected in the bill the bill auctions too, because we should say something about bill auctions. Bill mm. auctions are sort of bifurcated themselves because there are two competing groups of bidders at bill auctions. Now, most people know that indirect bidders on treasury note and bond auctions tend to be foreigners, 
But that's not the case at the bills. Indirect bidders for bill auctions tend to be money market funds and investment funds. Now, money market funds and investment funds, they love treasury bills because they have a short-term mandate to hold in their portfolio, short-term securities, the safest, most liquid treasury bills, but they don't care about collateral either. Their sole concern is interest rates. Their sole concern is return and investment characteristics. So if the Fed is saying, I'm going to raise interest rates uh, within that four-week window that you're going to hold the treasury bill, you take that into consideration. So in the middle end of February, everybody knew the Fed was going to raise interest rates in March. So these this class of bidders stopped bidding at the same high prices that they were before because they, they realized, I don't need a four-week bill yielding next to nothing. Within a couple of weeks, I can go into the repo market and get better than 25 basis points, if not more. So like 30 basis points, something like that. So the investment funds of the indirect bidders on these bill auctions started to take a step back. They, they started to offer higher and higher and higher yields, or at least they started to demand higher and higher yields at auctions. But the other class of bidders who are primary dealers, as well as dealers bidding for their other house accounts, they were still there saying, I want bills at almost any, and I'm willing to pay almost any price to, to get them. So that's why, as Emil already pointed out, you see the high yield at the auction go one direction, the median sort of in the middle, and then the low yields stick way, way down below because we really do have these two class of bidders where dealers are, are bidding higher and higher. And therefore, throughout the month, the late the last half of February and into the month of March, it's dealers take down more and more of these bill auctions because they're willing to pay higher and higher prices that investment funds and money market funds for investment considerations are not going to. Okay, we've substituted out that graph, which you just described ably, and we've inserted a new one that seems almost identical, except now the bottom of the panel, instead of indirect and direct bidders, you have now put in repo fails. What should we take away from the relationship between repo fails and the four-week bill bill (laughs) yields in the secondary market and the primary auction yields. As you can see, the low bid or low yields uh, bid from dealers, as we saw in the last chart, tends to correspond with rising repo fails, which is trouble sourcing collateral, breakdowns in collateral, high demand for collateral as everybody's herded into the best of the best. And what you don't see in that chart that we've already pointed out many, many times before too is the four-week treasury bill rate in the secondary market as it relates to the RRP rate, which is after the rate hike in the middle of March, substantially below. So there, in the middle of March, what you see is after this initial bout of collateral, the collateral days, initial spike of repo fails the first week in March, then the real fireworks hit by the middle. So whatever was triggered or however it was triggered in late February, early March, whether it's oil, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's just the lack of bill supply, generalized risk aversion, China, any number, you know, growth scares, any number of factors that set off a chain of events that by the middle part of March, you can literally see in these collateral indications how collateral had grown so tight, so scarce, so short of supply. It affected not just the bill yields in the uh, uh, the bill prices in auction at auction, also the secondary market and also the treasury yield curve inversion. All of those things intersected right in those middle that those middle weeks of March, middle weeks of March, and then the real surge in repo fails, which followed after it. 
You just said the middle week of Marx. Earlier, you said China. <laughs> you mentioned it briefly. You knew where I was going. I wanted to point out simply. Marx and China. Yes, yeah, so that's never far from our minds, right? Because of this topic. Freudian slips. <laughs> because of this topic, collateral days, yeah, bill shortage, failures. Maybe it's a coincidence, Jeff. I'm winking. It could and be. Blink, yes. And I'm okay. Scare quotes. February 28th, the renminbi US dollar exchange rate seems to have peaked. And it's been a while now. We'll see where it goes. But generally, when the currency is losing value, that's not a good thing, not a good sign for the global monetary conditions. And since February 28th, it's been on a downtrend, whereas. Especially the last couple of days, if you've noticed, it's yes, now today, it's exactly. 644. It's, it's, it's a new multi-month low. So maybe there is something to this. And the reason we're pointing it out is because it turned or it topped out uh, February 28th. So we have these massive monetary disruptions in collateral, which you know is having massive effects, not just in repo, not just in the U.S., but ripples all throughout the rest of the world. And as we've repeatedly pointed out ever since the beginning, ever since the CNY took its first turn in early 2014, long before predating the show, that's a very bad euro dollar indication. CNY down equals bad because whenever you see Chinese yuan go down, it's not the PBOC, it's not Chinese authorities, it's them having an, uh, an increasing and substantial problems sourcing dollars that they absolutely need to have. And it makes sense if we're seeing all of these massive disruptions in collateral at the same time the yield curve in in inverts, you can bet that the, probably the Chinese are going to struggle with that too. Jeff, that's it for me. I had a great time on the show. Absolutely. We got a lot, a lot done this week. We got Volcker, we got oil, we've answered inflation with the quotes, not the money printing, China, repo, Basically, all the main themes have come together, which in a sitcom setting, that's usually the last five minutes of the show to wrap it up on a very happy ending. So the audience goes away smiling and happy, which unfortunately for us, when we see all of our major themes come together in a nice, tidy package, it usually doesn't mean anything good for most people. Boy, we really need to end the show. 